Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with your 2024 AEW Revolution Instant Analysis. That's right, getting over is back once again, just moments after AEW's first pay-per-view of the year went off the air and we are here to break down every single thing that happened on that card along with the final match of AEW Revolution, which just so happened to be the retirement of Sting. We have an absolutely loaded show for you once again here on Getting Over, but I would be remiss if I kicked it off without a reminder that this podcast is all about So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave a five-star rating on Apple, take a little extra time, leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It is also where you get to vote in our pre- and post-show polls around pay-per-views and premium live events which we will reference later in the show when we give a final grade for AEW Revolution. Now, this is the part of the show where normally the Silver King would kick things off by cracking open a cold one, which we do for these pay-per-view and premium live event instant analysis episodes. Unfortunately, the Silver King happens to be on antibiotics. Somehow, I wound up with a finger infection this week. Can you imagine if you have not experienced it Let me tell you, I'm a baby when it comes to pain in general. This is absolutely atrocious. So I'm on antibiotics. It was my middle finger on my left hand. Could barely type. So the fact that this show even came together is a miracle. So with that, I'm going to throw it over to Vintage Chris Vanini. Let me welcome him into the show. What do you got over there, Chris? Well, first, you and CJ Perry apparently in the same boat here with the finger Let's just hope mine is not as bad as hers. Fingers freaking yeah. crossed. Not that finger, but my other fingers crossed on that one. Yeah, I got some with me. Um, I got this a while back from New Mexico State University sent it to me. It's a uh, raspberry margarita uh, canned cocktail. It's got orange peel, uh, nectar, raspberry stuff. So uh, I actually already opened it and it's uh, it's pretty good. They, they've been making a lot of these drinks branding it with the, the athletic department and all that and they sent me a couple and they've all been really good really pushing the boundaries of the point of this segment but i will allow it especially because i have nothing here i'm just drinking some water uh out of a swig container shout out to them they make some good um beverage holders right there so all right look let's get into it we're not going to waste any additional time off the top we're going to dive into the aew revolution instant analysis what we're about to do is break down every single match On the card, we will let you know what happened in the match, our thoughts on it. The Silver King will drop a match grade on you. And then at the end of this show, we'll give you our final grade for AEW Revolution. But not only that, we're going to look back to our pre-show expectation grades. This was a loaded show, an extremely long show that ended midnight Eastern. So let's kick things off where AEW Revolution ended. And that was the AEW Tag Team Championship Sting and Darby Allin defending against the Young Bucks in a Tornado Rules match in what was also the final match of Sting's career. So Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat entered to start. Others like Magnum TA were ringside. The Bucks came out in boxing robes for some reason. Sting's entrance started with him in a theater, watching a slideshow of photos and videos from his career. Then he said, showtime for the last time. Let's do this. One of his sons entered 
in his surfer American flag gear. The other entered in his wolf pack red and black gear. And then Sting entered normally in his crow gear. And Chris told me that the song they played was Seek and Destroy from Metallica, which was one of his themes in WCW. We also thankfully got one final, it's Sting from Tony Schiavone. It was maybe the best one he's done in the entire AEW run. But as you all know, I'm thrilled to never hear that again. Darby threw himself into the Bucks outside with a tope suicida, and then Sting's sons were allowed to wrestle despite this not being a no disqualification match. It was just tornado rules. Sting put the Bucks in a double scorpion deathlock. Tables, chairs, ladders, and panes of glass were pulled out from the ring. Sting simply broke one with a bat, like he hit it a second time because it didn't break the first time. Darby took a falcon arrow off the stage into two tables. Sting took a suplex from the other side of the ring, or the other side of the stage, into two tables, and we're just getting started here. Allen was powerbombed into a ladder and soon hit a code red. Then he climbed this extra tall ladder in the ring and he did a swanton bomb off of it to the outside into a thick pane of glass stacked atop six chairs. Jeez. There wasn't even someone laying on it. Nick was basically standing in front of it. There was no real setup to the move. Darby's back was completely shredded and bleeding. Real glass, Crimea River. This was a stunt, not a spot. Sting got powerbombed off that same ladder into a table, no sold, it stood right up. Then he got thrown into a pane of glass in the corner. Matt low-blowed him and hit Scorpion Death Drop for a false finish. Steamboat stopped Nick from using the title and took a chair to the gut. Flair covered Sting in the ring so that he couldn't get punished any further, only to eat a double super kick. Steamboat took the same on the apron. Then Sting took a belt shot from Matt for another false finish. Then he no-sold double super kicks and hit a scorpion death drop, but ate an EVP trigger for another false finish. The Bucks sarcastically shook his hands and hit another EVP trigger. And here, I legit thought the match was going to end. They'd win the titles and that was it. Got a half count, not a one count, a half count. Darby stopped a TK driver, pushing Nick off the ropes, through a table outside, Sting then hit Scorpion Death Drop on Matt for a flat two count. Darby added a coffin drop, and Sting won via submission with the Scorpion Death Lock to an enormous pop and tons of confetti. After the bell, Sting said he wanted it to be a night fans won't forget, and he believes everyone delivered, especially the crowd. He called Darby his greatest partner. You still got it, Chance, rained from the crowd. And then the pay-per-view, which really should not have a time limit for any reason, ended at midnight on the dot, right in yeah. the middle of his speech. So I don't know what else he said. Now, there was celebration, pictures being taken. All the wrestlers came out on stage. I'm seeing this stuff online. Sting did say more things. He put over the crowd and the pay-per-view and AEW and Tony Khan and all that. But I don't have the details. I don't have all of it. So that's the way the show ended for us as viewers. And Chris, the best thing I can say here is this is nearly impossible to analyze, like the way we normally analyze matches. I feel like they could have taken out 50% of the craziness and run the same match otherwise, and it would have been much better. The spot with Sting's sons, I feel like it should have been done before the bell, not after. Darby's swanton into the glass was one of the single dumbest moves I have seen in three decades of watching professional wrestling. Maybe the dumbest from a major company, not like a backyard thing or ECW or something like that. I get the purpose. It was to fully take him out of the match for an extended stretch but holy shit. And I also get Sting is Sting, and he no-sold stuff his entire career. 
But the number of kickouts here, given the type of damage he took, all for a 65-year-old to put over precisely nobody in 29 matches with AEW, unless you count Darby, which it's fair to count Darby. It was just a lot. And you know what? That's my analysis of the match. It was a lot. A total car crash. It was like a mix of Sting Triple H and Roman Reigns Brock Lesnar, the SummerSlam match with the forklift. If you like combined those together and then said it was in AEW, that's kind of what I would say. Except there was glass for no reason whatsoever. Credit to them though for putting everything on the line. There is no doubt every single person involved in this match went all out to the best of their ability. And they deserve a shit ton of credit for that. How do I grade it? (laughs) Is this gradable? 3.5 stars B? The grade doesn't matter. The match just was. It existed, it happened, and we experienced it. Yeah, I'm giving that five stars entertainment. That's ultimately (laughs) what you want. That's ultimately what sports entertainment is you know that was not supposed to be the most work rate match it was not supposed to be a match that made any sense it was just supposed to be a match that made you enjoy seeing sting celebrate him and have fun and it's exactly what they did they nailed it other than darby's dumbass jump off the thing in in fairness to the in fairness to the spot it looked like uh, Nick was either laying down or sitting up on the glass. And so this is what they did at the last second. They did a move outside that I think in theory was supposed to stagger Nick. So he's out there like doesn't know where he is. So Darby sets up the ladder. And I guess the idea was to do a swanton in, into him standing, which then would have propelled him back into the glass. And then Matt pulled Nick aside. So he didn't take the move. So that was the idea. But they didn't actually show it or set it up. All we really saw was Darby do one thing outside, immediately get the ladder, and then do the swanton into an empty chairs and glass situation. Uh, That was one of the gnarliest things I've ever seen, all the various spots he was bleeding in. I, I... I I don't I don't know how to describe various kinds of glass, but the glass that Sting went into in the ring was very clearly sugar glass or whatever. Not much to it. I don't know if you can get cut on sugar glass if you hit it hard enough. I don't know. Well, Sting was was also Sting was also wearing protection and Sting had a lot of stuff going on in there. Yeah, Yeah, right. But I also like. For the for the safety of the people sitting in the front row. Oh, no. yeah, was, of course, for sure. I don't know if that was first year because there's replays of people like like jumping back when it happens because they don't want to get hit by stuff. I don't doubt that. Yeah. But so let's go back to the beginning here. The video package with Sting in the theater mm-hmm. and pulling as much as they could since they don't have any of the WCW clips. I thought that was great. Maybe the best video AEW's ever done. I just thought probably it was really, really well done. Yeah. Um, Darby comes in and I noticed, I don't know if I just noticed this or if it was always the case, but Justin Roberts introduced Darby Allen by saying that is mm-hmm. Darby Allen, like a playoff of this is sting. Mm-hmm. Just seemed kind of weird to me. Um, no, they've but then done when that. Seeking hits, they've done when, that. When, when that guitar riff goes, man, I got fired up for that. That was awesome. I, Obviously, Tony Khan shelled out the money to get some big entrance music from time to time. This one totally nailed it, totally added to the moment. Um, the kids there, 
the, the, the older son looks exactly like Sting, man. Holy crap. That looked like 1988 Sting in there. Really, really did. And it was a little bit awkward at the beginning because you're like, is this just a four on two match? You know, Why didn't they fight the whole time? Yeah. If that was allowed at the beginning, why didn't they just fight the entire match? Yeah. Well, I think that I think that Bucks like chased him away or something. They did something with the bats. I think they, they could have come back there at some point. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, also, <laughs> actually, around this time, I wrote in my notes, um, Kevin Owens uh, actually tweeted a quick clip of him jumping off uh, a thing at payback last year when he was at the Pittsburgh Steelers jersey on. It was him doing the sting yell before he jumped. I never actually caught that at the time. So that was kind of cool um, that that uh, that he did that. And And I did also think in midway in this match when the Darby stuff's happening and Sting's going through glass. And I'm just thinking like, why is this a hardcore match? You know, like it, it didn't need to go this hard. You can do ladders, you can do tables and kinds of stuff. But when you were getting the glass in there, I could have done without the glass. Um, the only criticism I have, not criticism, but the, the, the selling versus the no selling, it just, it didn't make any sense. Because there were times it was too much when Sting would no. There were times when he would no sell all the all the EVP triggers, super kicks, all that stuff. And yet, the first time he gets slammed through the table, he's out for like ten minutes. <laughs> you, you know, he he was. They were checking out. They were doing that whole deal, and then he goes through a table later, and he gets right back up. So it just it didn't make any sense, but it didn't really matter ultimately. Um, Ric Flair coming in. The one thing. I wanted in this match. You wanted Flair to turn on, I bet. I wanted Flair yeah. to turn on Sting. Yeah, it would have been cool. It would have been cool. Because that's Sting's history where yeah. he te- he agrees to be partners with Ric Flair only to get turned on time and time and time again. And so when Rick's running in the ring and, and, and Matt's not hitting Rick, I'm like, oh man, this is going to do it. He's going to turn on Sting. Didn't end up doing that. I'm going to count it as Ric Flair pinning Sting uh, in my <laughs> mind uh, at least one last time. Um, and then, you know, it was just, it was a raucous fun romp. And then my last thought sting, uh, really, you know, he's 64 years old. He never figured out how to properly hold a championship belt. He it's unbelievable. Kinda, I know he just kind of holds it up there. Like it's a toy. It's, it's wild. he yeah. never figured it out. And I just thought it was funny. Um, but this was fun. This was great. You don't need to overthink all these kinds of things. It was just meant to honor sting. And ultimately you come out of that feeling great about sting and he worked his ass off in this match he i came out of this thinking man we probably could have got some singles matches out of sting you know oh he absolutely could have done some singles matches yeah. yeah yeah the way he performed no question now uh i'm not gonna play the entire thing because we're going into this completely blind okay but AEW did post a five minute 20 second video of what happened after revolution went off the air so i'm just gonna play the beginning of it because it was the end of whatever his speech was that was paused as the show just straight up ended. So let's go ahead, hear what Sting had to say, and then we'll just double back here and wrap up our analysis of this match. And of course, we'll get to the rest of AEW Revolution. Man, I I just, I I don't have any words other than to say thank you. I love you all so much, big time. Yeah, you know what? I'd like to call another very important person out. All right, you ready for this? It wouldn't be possible without Tony Khan. I'm going to skip ahead a little because it looks like he's going to walk down here. 
I have heard this clip already. You're going to enjoy talking about it. So they're hugging each other in the ring here. He's waving. Thank you very much, Greensboro. Thank you for being a part of the greatest wrestling pay-per-view ever. <laughs> There's been a lot of great nights in this building. Thank you very much for being here to celebrate the icon, Sting. He said he was gonna leave absolutely nothing left in this ring by the end of the night, and I hope that you felt you got your money's worth. That's Barbie. Okay, so that's a taste of it. Uh, were you predicting I was gonna laugh at the Tony Khan part? Because yeah. <laughs> I, I muted myself on that after after a little chuckle. Uh, hysterical. We'll let that go. I don't mind, Chris. Let's kind of wrap up the match. I don't mind Sting, seeing Sting go out as champion with Darby. And they're going to have to either find him a partner or just relinquish the titles. That said, I don't really think there was a necessity for the titles to be part of this feud. Really, it was just yeah. like Tony Khan wanting to say Sting was an AEW champion and perhaps Sting wanting to go out as champion. I'm fine with it. It's not the traditional move, right? But The Undertaker did not get beaten in his final match either, though I did think that was a mistake at the time. But of course, the circumstances there with the pandemic and everything, you couldn't plan that this guy would then not be able to have another match for a couple of years. And I don't know what they would have done. Maybe we would have gotten Undertaker Bray Wyatt that we hoped with Taker putting Wyatt over as we all expected. Here in AEW, I don't know that there was one individual person or a tag team where you could say now, you know what? It was an absolute shame that Sting didn't go on his back and uphold tradition. And No, I, I thought it was appropriate for this to be the way it was. I just wouldn't have included the titles. Yeah, they didn't need the titles, but I understand wanting to have Sting have a title in AEW. Um, I, I think the whole, like, go out on your back, put somebody over is, like, kind of like a made-up internet thing. Stone Cold Steve Austin's last match was putting over The Rock. The Rock's last match before this year was putting over John Cena. The Undertaker won his last match. This is not like some like thing in recent that like has always been a thing. Sting winning his last match well, is fine. Fighting the Young Bucks, one of the greatest tag teams of all time, is fine. I I, I think people like just felt like he has to lose. He has to put a young guy over because that's the rules. And it's not the rules. It doesn't have to be that. This was fine. I think traditionally it was, but in more modern times, it hasn't been. And and like you said, that's totally fine. I had no issue with the fact and, that and, he and won. Rick Flair, and Ric Flair put Rick Flair put over Shawn Michaels. You know, that's not a young guy. No, it's no, but he but fun. still, but he lost. He went out on his back. That's the yeah. point. So, you know, but again, Taker didn't do it. Sting didn't do it. Others haven't done it. And that's what it is. All in all, yeah. this was a great swan song for Sting's career. His WWE run was shit, and it wasn't really anyone's fault. There were booking issues, but really the injury screwed things up. Because had that not happened in the Seth Rollins match, then maybe we eventually do get to Sting and Taker, which is the match that, of course, everyone wanted. And it's probably the one match for both of their careers that was left on the table. 
And it's unfortunate, you know, in that degree. But AEW in many ways reminds of WCW. There's a lot of WCW elements into the way the company's constructed, the fact that it's on Turner Networks. Obviously, Collision uses the Nitro Colors. And Sting being able to wrestle and get one last run on TBS and TNT and in a company like that, it was really just the perfect way to wrap up his career. It went a bit longer than I expected. If you told me when he signed he was going to wrestle, what was it, 29 matches? I would have said, you're absolutely joking. But looking back on it, there were hardly any moments that I can point out and say, you know what? Sting was out of place or he wasn't able to compete or he didn't belong in this match or it shouldn't have been on the show. The fact that he was able to go to this level at this age, he turned 65 on March 20th. That's immensely impressive. And as far as I can remember, this is one of the best final, I don't want to call it a tribute match, but tribute segments, swan song, send-offs, whatever you want to call it, of a legend's career. Now, in terms of a match, like, yeah, Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair was better, like just straight up as a match. But in terms of a moment, this is in that upper tier. And you can nitpick the glass and you can nitpick the kickouts and you can nitpick this or that or whatever the case. But at the end of the day, AEW wrapped up an immensely strong pay-per-view. We'll give you a final grade later with an immensely strong moment for an absolute legend in Sting. And I thought they did an exceptionally strong job concluding his career and concluding this pay-per-view. Yeah, it was, you know, I've been critical of AEW's production from time to time. I thought they'd nailed this. Um, other than, I guess, going off the air early. Uh, I, I the, the video package, the entrance, everything. They 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 made this great. Sting, Sting's WWE brief run, that Survivor Series debut, that was a moment. That oh, was that was awesome. sick. Yeah. I, lo- I loved the DX NWO Triple H Sting. Me match. too. Like, I really did. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah, maybe Sting could have won, but I didn't, I wasn't like upset that he lost. He I, was never winning was, that it, match. There was no scenario no, it, in which a WCW guy was beating a WWE guy right. in that match. Never. And it's, and it's yeah. fine. The whole thing was fun. Like it, it, people kind of crap on that. And then the injury uh, sucked. And it was really unfortunate if that was going to be kind of the last memory fans had of Sting. Mm-hmm. So for AEW to not only bring him in, but bring him in and have a really good, what, like three years that elevated Sting again, it gave uh, one last generation of fans good memories of Sting. It elevated AEW. It was a really, really good run. Um, and, and all in all, this this Sting AEW thing, Totally worked from beginning to end. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on with the rest of AEW Revolution. And certainly, if there's any additional takeaways to come from the Sting retirement, we will have those Thursday on our next AEW show. We'll also talk NXT on that episode. Between now and then, we'll have a WWE episode on Tuesday. But next, let's go to the AEW Championship match. Samoa Joe defending against Swerve Strickland and Hangman Page in a triple threat. Swerve gave Hangman credit for fooling him during a short taped collision promo. Solid as usual from Strickland, but he's got to stop with the eye makeup. Uh, Hangman later cut a similar promo on the show saying he'd rather die than have Swerve win the title. And therefore, he had no choice but to do what he did on Dynamite. And that's going to play into this match. So Joe 
was double power bombed off the ropes. Hangman caught Swerve for a tombstone pile driver. Hangman ate a muscle buster, but Swerve immediately flew in with a Swerve stomp and last call. He stupidly chose not to cover Joe because he wanted to beat Hangman. So he hit house call on Hangman 2.9. Swerve hit a 450 in the second Swerve stomp on Joe. Hangman was supposed to stop the count by pulling the referee outside, but Joe was actually forced to kick out because Hangman was late and they were pretty deep in the ring. Hangman used the belt twice on Swerve, taunted him outside. He left the title in the corner. Then he hit two buckshot lariats on Joe with no one to count. His fault. New referee comes in, false finish. Joe ducked the third buckshot, putting Hangman in a coquina clutch, but Swerve broke it with a sloppy corkscrew. Prince Nana gave him the crown. He tossed it back. Hangman then straight attacked this referee to stop a pinning combination. He hit a buckshot on Joe, and then Swerve hit a buckshot on Hangman, adding a JML driver on Hangman. But Joe dumped Swerve on his head and hit a half and half suplex, putting Hangman in the coquina clutch with Hangman tapping out a second before Swerve could get to the referee. Swerve was trying but failing to cry after the match. This completely delivered and not really because of the wrestling, which was great. I loved the storytelling of this match. You had Swerve basically complete a babyface turn by refusing to cheat and then being screwed over multiple times. You had Hangman being so dastardly as to not just use a weapon, but actually attack a referee. It's one thing to pull a referee out of the ring. It's another to just beat the shit out of the guy. Plus, when Hangman tapped out, he may have done it, not just because he was in the coquina clutch, but simply to prevent Swerve from winning the match, which is real hater shit. And we talked about Drew McIntyre and AJ Styles being in this hater of the year conversation. Hangman Page is right up there with them. What I wish, the one mistake in this match, I wish Hangman had tapped out while looking at Swerve and laughing at him. Because then it's a purposeful tap. You see it. Swerve can react to it and so on. I did think Joe looked weak-ish in this match. Like, he got his ass kicked and would have lost the title about a half dozen times to both guys. I wish he had a more significant role in some of the big offensive spots. Between this and the next match we're about to discuss, Chris, I do not think we're going to see better back-to-back matches on a show this year. I'm at 4.5 stars A, not perfect by any means, excellent in every way. Yeah, this was um, this was awesome. Paige looks great, by the way. He is back to being lean and 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 everything like that. The mustache looks great. I'm really liking what he's been doing. It is a little weird. He's the heel after someone invaded his house to attack his baby, <laughs> but mm. that's just kind of what this uh, story is. Um, commentary really did hit the point at the end that page tapped out for swerve. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. You would have loved to have the kind of, a which is why there, but be, because his back was to him. That's why if he was just turned, it would have been like a million times better. I'm right. Sorry. Go ahead. Right. So, so credit, but credit to them for really hitting that. Home yes. Cause that's something that they wanted to get done. And this was, this was a rare AEW match with a great story coming in. And that story played out through the match. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Joe was kind of the third wheel on this, but the, the swerve hangman stuff has been great. The story has made sense. The story in the match made sense. So I thought that was 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 all fantastic. Um, this I don't know if this is a conversation for for here or later, but I feel like Swerve, he's not quite like there yet in terms of like what he is. I feel like he's just 
He's just got to like narrow things down or just kind of tweak one thing here or there mm-hmm. before he really feels like he's the guy. Like, I don't know who he is. He's sometimes he's like this tough rapper guy. Sometimes he's doing the gritty. Sometimes he's got these big colors on his entrance. Uh, sometimes he's taking shots from page and not selling it and acting like he's crazy. You know, like he's just, he's kind of all over the place a little bit. He's immensely talented and he really showed out in this match. It didn't feel like the right time for him to win the title, but he has continued to elevate himself. He was great here. Just coming out of this, like kind of focus in on what he is. And I think he's very close and a guy you've been a high on forever, but a guy we could all see winning the title at some point this year. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think the analysis of Swerve is pretty accurate. He doesn't feel like he's ready-made to be the guy, like let's just say Cody Rhodes, where it's a no-doubter, no-brainer, he's ready for the role. But sometimes you just got to put the title on someone and go sink or swim. And I did not think that Swerve was winning here. In fact, on the Ultimate Preview, I predicted... It was likely Joe retaining, but if anyone was going to win the title, it would be Hangman, and then Swerve could win it off of him down the line. That made so much more sense than Swerve winning in this spot, especially because this was not going to mean the main event of the show. You're not going to do a world title change and then have Sting's retirement after that. It just really wouldn't have right. made sense. But Swerve is the entire package. I think the biggest issue is he got over as a heel, and AEW said, well, he's so over as a heel, we got to turn him babyface. I would have just left him as a heel. You have Hangman Page, who has every right in the world to absolutely detest, loathe, and hate this guy in in every conceivable way, doing what someone whose family was threatened and who was wronged and beaten would do. And yet now he's the heel for doing all of that. And Swerve is the babyface just because people like him and he didn't win. And he refused to use the crown. So like... It's a double turn. It was successful. Hangman's a heel now. Swerve is a babyface. But yes, because of that, Swerve is, has not rotated all the way around where he's such a massively over babyface where you say you got to put the title on him as soon as possible. That was kind of the role that MJF was in as a heel where you knew MJF had to be champion. Now in WWE, you know Cody Rhodes absolutely has to freaking be champion. And Swerve's not there yet but he will be soon. They're on the right track. I do believe he will be AEW champion before 2024 is out, but it's going to be difficult for that, Chris, because of this next person we're going to talk about. Yep. Will Ospreay against Konosuke Takeshka. So Don Callis was on commentary. Takeshka was given a full entrance with a new mask gimmick. Looked really cool. Ospreay hit a handspring spin kick and a pendulum crossbody. Takeshka hit a move I've never seen. A pop-up fireman's carry front-facing Falcon Arrow. His German suplexes were picture-perfect, crisp. Osprey hit multiple rolling elbows and a bunch of headshots with Takeshka acting as if he was in a fencing position, having been concussed. Now, you and I know this from football. When someone's hands get like that, it means you stop everything you do, you bring out a neck brace, you wheel them out, concussion protocol, done for an extended period of time. But commentary didn't even really mention it Look at his hands. Look at his hands. And then the matches continued. Takeshka came back with the same strikes, multiple counters before Osprey hit Tiger Driver. Takeshka countered Ozcutter midair into a blue thunderbomb. That was my spot of the match. I thought that was awesome. 
Osprey eventually hit Ozcutter, but Takeshka prevented Hidden Blade with a throat punch. Will barely picked his shoulder up. Takeshka held the top rope to stop a Hurricanrana. And then he tried to do a turnbuckle brain buster, except they completely missed. And Osprey landed straight on the canvas, luckily not on the crown of his head. I thought he did, but he had a major contusion on his back. I think what happened is this back, his lower back caught the rope and he got rope mm-hmm. burn. And that turned him just enough where he didn't land straight up on his head. And who the hell knows what would have happened. He came back with Stun Dog Millionaire and a Poison Rana. Takeshka got a bunch of offense. It happened so fast. I couldn't even get it down initially, but I think I circled back. He escaped a Stormbreaker, hit a cradle tombstone pile driver, then into a deadlift German suplex. Osprey no-sold that, immediately hit a hidden blade for a one count. Then he had a Styles Clash, which they called as a Styles Clash, and a real nasty Tyler Driver 91, plus hidden blade to the back of the head for the one, two, three in 22 minutes. I called it a Tyler Driver. It's a Tiger Driver 91. I'm used to Tyler Bate doing similar moves. Osprey and Takeshka then bowed to each other after the bell. Kyle Fletcher stepped into the ring. He hugged Will. And then it was announced that they're going to have a match on Dynamite for some reason. So I can't really explain that to you. And we're not going to discuss it any further. While watching this match, Chris, I kept going back and forth between feeling it was too much, then feeling it was absolutely perfect, and then feeling there were too many risks taken that were completely unnecessary. Ultimately, no one was injured, which is a huge positive. I could nitpick wishing they had not done this or that the concussion spot, some of the no-sells, but that's Japanese wrestling. And that's the style they used in this match. This was an immediate match of the year contender, maybe the favorite, an incredible display of talent, an incredible display of athleticism, an incredible display of strength. The speed at which these guys worked and the impact their moves made was at another level. Osprey and Takeshka were made to wrestle each other. We're talking Kenny Omega, Kazuchika Okada. That is Will Ospreay and Konosuke Takeshka. It was almost like Ken and Ryu from Street Fighter. Just truly, truly outstanding in every way with the exception of a storyline. It was the only thing that was missing. If that was included, this easily would have gotten my bonus designation. But even without it, this was a no-doubter, five-star, A-plus match. The, you know how every AEW pay-per-view used to have the crazy tag team match with a bunch of insane spots that was just nuts, mm-hmm. and they didn't have it, I don't think, in the last show. This was that. This felt like the AEW Spot Fest match that they always have on the show, and it's always great. And this was spectacular. This was insane. This did not to be did not to be as did not need to be as risky as it was. Um, but I just, you mentioned a lot of the moves. One of that spinning elbows that Osprey gave to Keshka. Jesus. I, I literally said Jesus Christ out loud when, when that happened, that was brutal. And then, yeah, you know, the tiger driver stuff actually in the media scrum. Um, I think Will Osprey said he's like, not sure how often he'll keep doing moves like that, uh, considering how dangerous they are, um, which is fair, but I came out of this match thinking Will Ospreay is a star. He is electric. He feels like a star in the ring. He just needs to, one, not do quite so many risky ones. Do your flips. Do your Spanish flies. 
do your things. Don't give me tiger drivers. Don't give me turnbuckle brain busters. You don't need it, man. And I think back to what Osprey said after all in when he said Jericho was someone, I think it was after all in when he said Jericho called him a while back and told him to just like slow down and just like calm Mm -hmm. down on some of the crazy stuff so he can keep his career going. And that Osprey took that to heart. And I hope he continues to take that to heart (laughs) because he is a guy after seeing this match. I thought this guy is going to be, could be your face of the company pretty soon. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and world champion within a year type of thing. Oh, Um, forget a year. The only forget a year way sooner than that. Well, if you possibly you got swerve in there too, and they've AEW's typically had long title runs Mm -hmm. CM Punk excluded. So, so I don't, you know, you never know. Tony Khan has an idea. He'll stick to it. So, um, the only thing we still need to get from Osprey doesn't really matter in AW, but he's still not a great promo. He's gotten better at it. He's pretty good. He's gotten a lot better. He's got the charisma and that's important, but he's never, we we need to see more of those like storyline driven promos and and less of I'm all elite. I'm here. Yada, yada, yada type of stuff. And we might get that Wednesday. Um, I, I, Tony Khan said he's to be determined if he can wrestle in that match based on what happened tonight. Um, and then he got up and basically showed his ass during the press conference, literally to show off the lower back <laughs> issue that he got from the match. So um, I didn't re- I didn't realize looking this up. Uh, he's 30 years old. Oh, yeah. He's only 30. Mm-hmm. Like, holy cow. This guy, if he doesn't do some of the stupid moves, has a lot of career left. He's a got 10 lot. years, 10 years of prime, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. As long as he doesn't hurt himself. So. Take care of yourself, man, because because AEW has star right here. You know, this this is a guy who you got to you got to make sure you do right by him because he's going to take the company to another level. Somebody that they've needed since MJF left this. Like you said, it felt like a Street Fighter match. He feels like a superhero. It's mm-hmm. the same thing I thought about Ricochet. You know, when we used to see him back in the day, WWE didn't take advantage of it. I expect AEW to take advantage of. Well, except Will Ospreay's like 60 pounds heavier and, you know, seven inches taller, you know, <laughs> than Ricochet comparatively. Right. Uh, you said a couple interesting things here. So, you know, Osprey is used to wrestling this style because he wasn't wrestling frequently. You know, when you're in New Japan, yeah, they do yeah. tours and they do certain things, but you're really saving your stuff for these big time matches. Now, if he wants to go out like this on pay-per-views, especially when it's important matches, title matches and the like, go for it. But he cannot do this on weekly television. And Tony Khan should not be asking or expecting him to do this on weekly television because that's where a career ends early. And that's where people get injured. And the one thing we do know about AEW because of the style they wrestle is people get hurt a lot more frequently. You could just run through the list of people who are out right now. And you're like, this pay-per-view was fantastic. And you can make an argument. I'm not going to say like they're top 10 people, but there's probably six people who are injured slash out of action right now, who would be among the upper crust of the company if they were healthy. And that's not counting Mercedes Monet coming in and Kazuchika Okada possibly joining it. And also Kenny Omega, who's sidelined not for injury reasons, but health reasons, which is completely different. So he's going to have to figure out how to work TV and reduce his style in between the matches like this. But you mentioned Will Ospreay needs to win the title in the next year. Dude, if he doesn't win the title 
at Wembley Stadium at all in this year, Tony Khan should fire himself as the head booker. The full yeah. weight of AEW should be behind Osprey before 2024 is out. As much as we may like Swerve and want him to win the title, as much as we may like MJF, especially on the mic, Osprey is the guy. The question is, will he ever realize his star potential in AEW? I'm not talking about being a star of AEW. I'm talking about being a star who works for AEW. That's tough to say, but he is the total package. And now those of you who do not watch New Japan understand exactly why this guy has been up for wrestler of the year and match of the year annually. And why this past year for the 2023 Getting Over Awards, aka the Meaties, I told you all that his match with Kenny Omega was the match of the year. He didn't win. He was my first place vote because this is what you can get from Will Ospreay. He's already has two match of the year contenders in 2024 alone. And by the way, none of this is taking anything away from Takeshka. He was almost equally outstanding. I said, mm -hmm. Ken and Ryu, I mean Ken and Ryu. And by the way, I always played with Ryu, not Ken in Street Fighter, but there is the language barrier there. Takeshka should have something. I'm talking about Will Ospreay having the AEW title before the year's out. Takeshka should have the international title or the continental crown or something real soon. These guys are immensely talented. They're both young. And yes, these are the types of guys that AEW needs to be built around. As great as you know, it may be to have MJF on the mic. And yes, MJF's a really good wrestler too. Will Ospreay is just, it's a different class. It's the Kenny Omega class. And there are so few people who can really reach that level. And you don't have to be spectacular in the ring. You just have to have the charisma and the talent and the overall package, the Shawn Michaels tier, the Kenny Omega tier, the Will Ospreay tier. It is ridiculous how good he is. And the fact that this was his first salvo in AEW as a full-timer, I mean, the potential is through the roof. Yeah, for sure. One, I don't know if you mentioned it in the match recap or not. I may have missed it, but Takeshka kicking out at four. I love that. I, I, I like that. That fit in this match and in, in the somewhat story they told in the match. I, I'm this is the number one thing on Wednesday. I want to like, see, I want to see what the follow-up is with Os Osprey and the Callis family. Do they turn on him in this, in this next match or something like that? Cause let's get him into a story now. I, and, and that's a really exciting thing. What are the plans for Will Osprey other than great matches? And that's something I can't wait to see on Wednesday. Okay, let's move over to the women's championship match. Tony Storm defending against Deanna Perrazzo. Storm called out Perrazzo on collision after ignoring Mariah May. They did a black and white split screen. Storm said she loved her, but there's only room for one of them. Perrazzo said her head is so far up her own ass. She's lost sight of what's important. It was heatless until Deanna said she'd break both of Tony's arms so she can't wipe her ass. So Storm put on lipstick, kissed her on the cheek, and they brawled until Mariah saved and ate a really nasty spike pile driver. I'm glad they got a go-home segment, but it was super weak on Saturday. So Mariah entered to Tony's old music dressed in her old gimmick. Why? I have no idea whatsoever. Storm did a mule kick with Taz appropriately asking, does that work? No, it doesn't. But Perrazzo sold it like it did. Deanna went on an extended run, but Tony tripped her and hit a hip attack, plus the break a leg ankle lock, which is a really good name, by the way. Uh, Luther caught Storm off the apron and Perrazzo kind of half splashed them outside. 
Luther then distracted the referee as Storm tapped out during Venus de Milo. Deanna released the submission and Tony immediately hit Storm Zero to retain in 12 minutes. This was a TV finish to a TV match. Simple as that. Perrazzo, she was kept decently strong. She can claim she submitted the champion. Storm has been a weak champion though, even as a heel. The work was smoother than most AEW women's matches, as should be the case given their talent level. But there was no heat from the crowd, no sequences that delivered on their storyline and the extended build. As I've said before, I'm done with the timeless gimmick. It does not translate to the ring. I think previously I compared it to Bray Wyatt, where it's like so great and people love it and they are entertained by it on screen. But then you have to wrestle and the whole thing kind of falls apart. This just really did not work for me in any significant way. I'm at, you know, 2.75 stars C plus. And actually that might be a little generous. I, I thought it was fine. I'm someone who still enjoys the timeless Tony gimmick. I mean, it's, it's, it's very much pro wrestling to, to kind of stumble into something and then beat it into the ground. I know, but I think Mariah may coming out as, old Tony storm reminded everybody how much they liked the old Tony storm <laughs> and, right. and, and they want, and they, and they want that to come back. I will say doing that, by the way, doing that, someone coming out as fake Tony storm only to two met three matches later. Right. Do the same thing with sting was, yeah, not smart. Not yeah. great. It, it was not smart. That's something that hundred percent would not happen in WWE this is something we say in AEW. do the various segments, talk to each other and because it was completely unnecessary really it, it yeah. didn't need to happen tony said in the in the press conference that uh she had told diana that the old tony storm was coming back and so that's what that was a reference gotcha. to okay that makes sense um, that makes sense yeah and I, I also laughed at the kick in the groin uh in the conversation that went on between the uh between the commentary uh at that point but yeah this was what we expected we expected tony storm to win Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet gets here pretty soon. You you take the title off of her there, mm-hmm. and we move forward. And maybe Tony and maybe Tony Storm changes after that. I well, think. she can she can keep um, doing this gimmick, but just not with the title, you know, and not yeah, really not really wrestling. Reduced wrestling. Yeah, it, have a comedy gimmick. That's fine. Yeah, it is a gimmick that doesn't need wrestling, especially doesn't need a title. Agree on that. All right, let's move to the Continental Crown. Eddie Kingston defending against Brian Danielson. Now, correspondence backstage provided thoughts on behalf of the wrestlers before the match. That added a really nice touch to the presentation. Kingston ate a nasty suplex off the apron outside, got himself reversed off the ropes into a label lock with a hand twist extension. Eddie hit a back fist that Brian no-sold. He tried to come back with a bazaiku knee, uh, but got countered into a Northern Lights bomb. Kingston caught him running with a second back fist that Danielson no-sold again, and Eddie collapsed under it due to the hand injury. The idea being his hand was hurt, Therefore, the back fist is not strong enough. Then Eddie kicked out of a Bazaiku knee false finish. The crowd was loud and also split directly down the middle. Strange uh, suplex sequence followed. They slapped the shit out of each other. Eddie then countered the Bazaiku knee with a lariat, hitting a powerbomb and folding Brian over for another clean one, two, three in 20 minutes. Danielson not only shook Kingston's hand, but raised his arm in victory and got the crowd chanting Eddie after the bell. I thought this was an excellent match. Exactly what you would want between the two guys. Hard hitting, plenty of in-ring storytelling, strong wrestling sequences, entertaining finish teases. The end was a bit sudden, but it was not that dissimilar 
from a Gunther finish in WWE, where Kingston didn't need a direct finisher. They just wore each other down so much that he eventually hit a sequence of moves that allowed him to get the win. There were brief moments of minor sloppiness, but it hardly took away from the quality. And while I was surprised at the winner, I did think Danielson was going to take his first title in AEW here. It's awesome to see Eddie being put over this strong. I've been waiting for him to get this booking for years, and I only knew about him since he started in AEW. I'm going to rewatch. I might regrade this a little lower maybe, but for now I'm at 4.25 stars and an A. The crowd was terrific, but I'm not really letting that affect just an honest review of the match itself. This was fantastic. I think as we all expected, I was pleasantly surprised that Kingston won. I really thought Brian Danielson was going to win it. He was going to get his first championship. Eddie Kingston beating Brian Danielson twice didn't really seem to like make sense. And, and, and so I kind of went into it that and then, no, they just came out further legitimizing Eddie Kingston as a really good wrestler, which is great. He's a guy who I've said many times he should be cutting a promo on every single episode of television that he's at because this guy is incredibly talented and the crowd is the fans are behind him. He's compelling. He's interesting. He's entertaining. Use him as much as you can. Uh, so this was a further um, just kind of stamping what Eddie Kingston means, which is great. I will say the three titles continues to look incredibly stupid. Why are we doing this? It doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. It's so it does. So he can lose the title. But then when the tournament comes back around, that person has to vacate three titles. I don't. It's weird. I really like this. This was great. I just wanted to comment on the three titles. I'm very surprised you're still doing this. Yeah, the whole triple crown thing for me doesn't work, but I will give them credit because what they are doing is establishing Kingston as someone they want to call a triple crown champion. And they're trying to establish the title as something not only prestigious, but something that he has won, not just because he happenstanced his way into coming out of that tournament, but he beat, you know, arguably the best wrestler in the world. So I credit them for that. The fact that they have three mid-card men's titles and one of them is a triple crown and the other, you know, we've gone through this before. Not a fan of any of that. But, you know, but from a booking standpoint, you know, there's, I'm critical of AEW booking all the time. This is pretty perfect booking on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And not only was this perfect booking on the pay-per-view, AEW during the show actually posted a three-minute video exclusive to social media of Kingston and Danielson commiserating in the training room. And normally I would not go and play something like this during an instant analysis show, but I don't want this to wait for Thursday's next episode, AEW episode that is, because I already listened to it and it's fantastic. I have a feeling most of you missed it and I want you to hear it. I'm just gonna lay it out to you, Brian. I took all this shit because I, I got to, to get myself motivated. But uh, what you did uh, for me tonight uh, shaking my hand. That's all I ever wanted was the respect of my peers. I wanted the respect from you, Joe, Mox, Claudio, because that's what matters to me in this life is respect. Championships come and go, man, but real legacy is the respect from the boys. I don't care about promoters. I don't care about no offense to the Twitter fans or, or fans that came out there. I appreciate y'all, but what I care about it's the respect from the boys. Because at the end of the day, you guys are the ones that are going to be talking about me 
whether I was good, whether I was bad, whether I was a waste or not. I don't want to get too emotional, so I'm going to get out of here. I just want to say uh, thank you, Brian. Thank you for everything. You fucking earned it. Thank you. That means the world to me, man. Thank you. You know, I thought uh, it would hurt me more than anything to shake Eddie's hand, say that I respect him. But there was a moment in that match where I knew I fucked up his wrist. I'm good at that. I'm good at fucking people up. And I know exactly how hurt he was. And he fought through it. And there was this, just this internal moment, this internal click that Eddie, me not respecting Eddie, it wasn't Eddie. All the things that we said about Eddie 20 years ago, about how much potential he had, about how much he, how he needed to work harder, about he needed to do this, and how he needed to do that, and how he needed to change his bad habits, and, and all of that, it took him a while. But he fucking did it. Fuck. And here I was, holding on to this petty bullshit. And I realized it might have taken him longer, right? But the things that he's battled through and the things that he's struggled through, I should have given him my respect a long time ago. And, uh, dude, he earned it. And, and me not seeing that, that's on me. But in the same way that Eddie can get past some of his struggles. I can get past mine too. And uh, and tonight I, I'm proud of Eddie, but I'm also proud of me seeing through my own bull. <laughs> and, uh, and when you can do that and you get to the other side. I might've lost tonight, but I feel good. What's really funny about that is they muted out like fucking shit and bullshit a bunch of times, but they left a clear fuck right in the middle at the very beginning of it. It's like, you fucking deserved it, man. They left it right there in the middle. So, and they kept it up this whole time. So apparently they don't really care. But and I say this seriously, like the sting stuff was great. And I, got, I told you guys, I didn't personally love every single ounce of it, but it was great. The Osprey Takeshka match was fantastic. It was my favorite thing on the entire night. This is my second favorite thing on the entire night. This was fantastic. This is exactly what AEW needs to be doing. One of our longtime listeners from the very beginning, Arun Singh at Arun on Twitter wrote in, this is what AEW needs to lean into, this kind of raw emotion. Eddie versus Danielson only works in AEW. This is the model for the storytelling that makes them more than an alternative. And he's right. This is that real sports presentation. This is the next level type of storytelling. WWE to a degree, they're doing it right now with the Rock Roman Reigns storyline. This is not that dissimilar conceptually from the 21 minute promo that rock cut from wherever he was in Hawaii or LA or wherever, you know, it, it's this, it's the realism it's wrestling in 2024. This is what it needs to be in WWE. You can't get this all the time because you have to appeal to multiple different audiences, but in AEW, you can do this a lot more frequently and they need to lean into stuff like this because that was off the cuff. Kingston was excellent. And Danielson, you could argue was even better. 
cutting a promo directly into the camera here. So I just wanted to play it. I know we have a long show tonight, but Chris, any thoughts on this? It's exactly what I said before. Eddie Kingston, whenever he talks, he is compelling. You Mm -hmm. are connected to him as a character. And Daniel Bryan just further cemented that and emphasized that. That was an incredible, incredible uh, bit there. I'll just also note these guys are now two and two in AEW singles matches. I could definitely see a rubber match down the line. Not soon, hopefully. They've wrestled three times in as many months. Other thoughts to wrap this up. Danielson seems to be doing the Shawn Michaels end of career run to a degree. And this should have been the opener of the show instead of the second match. It was the only mistake that they made from a match card building standpoint the entire night was having the second instead of first. It should have opened the show. Crowd would have been way hotter for some of the earlier matches if this began. All right, let's move over. Real quick, real, real, real quick, real quick. Yes or no. Does Brian ever win a title in AEW? It's tough, man. Um, I know it's tough. You got to pick one. I'm yeah. going to say no. He's probably got nine months, I guess, as a full-timer left. Even once he retires as a full-timer, he's still going to wrestle occasionally. And I think he said he's going to do, you know, five, six matches a year. So there is a situation where he could definitely win a title, walk away for two months, come back, defend it, you know, have it for half a year. They have three mid-card men's titles. I will say yes, Brian Danielson at some point wins a title in AEW. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, FTR uh, against John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli will stay with Blackpool Combat Club. Uh, BCC came out in all black Road Warrior style shoulder pads. Dax Harwood bladed deep at ringside randomly. Claudio countered Doomsday Device midair in a really cool spot. Dax countered Mox with a pop-up powerbomb and assisted Spike Piledriver. BCC then did an Escalera springboard European uppercut Doomsday Device. Yes, that is what it was. Uh, It was the spot of the match. Claudio prevented Shatter Machine before doing a swing dropkick near fall. Mox then kicked out of a Doomsday Device with Claudio breaking a cover after Shatter Machine. There were four counters into Death Rider and a double rear naked choke for a victory via referee stoppage in 22 minutes. This started slow, but it picked up massively from the midway point through the finish. The final 10 minutes were fire. Some great wrestling sequences both ways, exactly the type of match you would expect from these four guys. The blade spot for Dax, it was just completely unnecessary. I'm not going to say it took me out of the match, but it certainly did not improve the match. It, It didn't add anything to it. It wasn't drama. It happened so early and there was so much blood and you're like, why? You know? Now, BCC winning, probably the right call. Obviously, for those of you who listen to the show, you know I'm not surprised at the stoppage finish because AEW uses it far too often to protect wrestlers and teams. One would think after this, BCC is the number one contender for the tag team titles, except as we found out in the post show, those titles have now been vacated or will be soon. There's going to be a tournament to determine the new champions. So perhaps instead of number one contenders, this makes them the favorites to be the next AEW Tag Team Champions. While it was well-wrestled, they did three Doomsday Devices, an out-of-nowhere blade job. There was a total lack of tagging in the latter stages. And the slow start prevented me from going higher, but I'm exactly where I was for Danielson and Kingston. 4.5 stars in an A. Oh, wow. That's higher than I would have guessed for you. Yeah, Um, it was great. I I would have thought A minus. It was awesome. It was really solid. It was really good. I to your point in the blading, I wrote down where did Dax get cut? Like in kayfabe, I didn't even know where that was supposed to happen. He just had blood all over his head at one yeah. point after after a pin. Um, I may have just missed something, but that was weird. Um, and and yeah, I, I thought about this coming out of the match, and now I think about it even more. 
Tony Khan announcing a tournament for the tag team belts is great, but you know what I would love for them to do? A continental classic type of tournament for the tag team division because these tag team belts have meant nothing for quite a while now. This is a promotion that has been so deep in tag team talent forever. This is your moment to rebuild that, to reemphasize tag team wrestling again. Get back into that. Um, do a full-on like round robin type of tournament, not just a regular tournament that we normally get. So um, we'll find out details more, I assume, on Wednesday. But uh, yeah, th- this is uh, BCC tag team moving forward for sure. And I'm curious what the next conversation between Brian and Moxley is. If, if mm-hmm. this was WWE, I'd say, oh, the next TV show we're going to get a confrontation and they're going to talk about it right. with AW. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to ever come up again, but with Brian and what he said about Eddie Kingston, you know, Mox has similar and different feelings depending on, you know, where things are going. So will they follow up on that? Could there be a split of BCC at some point? I don't know. Uh, but just something I'm thinking about. Well, it's out. interesting because Kingston hates Claudio Mox in kayfabe is his best friend, but they're at odds constantly. And he hated Danielson almost by proxy to a degree, but now they respect each other. So it's like he has these mixed things with people in this group. For me, I just don't want them interacting anymore. They've been interacting for like two years now. Let Eddie go do something else. Let BCC go do this. Let Danielson find someone else to challenge and just go from there. But, you know, even though the whole vacation of the tag team titles and doing the tournament, it's it's kind of an eye roll because, again, it didn't need to happen and all that. The one positive here is this tag team division has just been decimated. I mean, when AEW started the first couple of years, we were saying, wow, they've really compiled maybe the best tag team division ever. And from the introduction mm-hmm. of the trios titles, there's actually two sets of trios titles on TV. By the way, there's two sets of tag team titles on TV as well. Um, but with all of that, people being injured, you know, teams thrown together, The division has been an absolute mess over the last couple of years. This may be a blessing in disguise, a sneaky way to rebuild that division through this tournament. And let's hope that's the case. And again, you have to think Mox and Claudio are probably the favorites to be the next AEW tag team champions. Let's move over to the international championship match. Orange Cassidy defending against Roderick Strong on collision. Strong injured Cassidy's back with an extended submission at ringside, the stronghold. Then on zero hour, the trainer again did the murky clearance for Orange. Yeah, he shouldn't wrestle, but I'm going to clear him anyway because I'm AEW's trainer and I don't give a shit. It's pretty much what he says every single time. And like a dumb baby face, Orange decided, I don't want any help ringside from my friends because you guys might get hurt. Now, granted, in this match, there was no interference from Undisputed Kingdom either. So that didn't matter. But in the moment, it seemed really stupid. In terms of the match, Strong wore a black mask and a bedsheet cape for some unknown reason. I could not figure out why he was dressed like that. Cassidy had his back and ribs completely taped with an elbow sleeve chaser. Orange took a gut wrench backbreaker onto the top turnbuckle in a great looking spot. Roddy followed with a stronghold and a lion tamer. Orange got a stretch of offense, hitting an orange punch and even a beach break after his back temporarily gave out. Strong then avoided an orange punch, catching Cassidy with end of heartache to win his first championship in AEW. This was a perfect match in terms of what it needed to be. Orange showed fight, but at the same time, Strong looked legitimate in victory, and he appropriately won relatively quickly in 12 minutes. Because 
Cassidy has all the injuries and stuff coming into the match. If this had lasted longer, maybe it would have been a better match from a work rate standpoint, but it would not have made as much sense given the story they were trying to tell. And I appreciated that they kept it short for that reason. I bet 3.5 stars in a B. Also, not every match needs to be 18 minutes long, Mm -hmm. like always happens on pay-per-view. So, um, First off, I continue to just love Orange Cassidy's entrance. The, the the Tron, the music, it just feels impactful for a character who's, you know, the idea is he doesn't care or whatever, but people get fired up for that. It's a really, really good entrance. I love it. Um, good match, good story, clean finish. You know, like, I think that all worked. It, it, it was really, I think, like you said, exactly what it needed to be. I found a funny tweet here from uh, someone named I am Shapiro on Twitter who said, AEW has a strong champion that is international and an international champion that is strong, hmm. which made me laugh. Yep. So, uh, good stuff. Coming out of this match, Chris, I don't want to see Orange Cassidy for at least a couple of months. He needs a break. We need a break yes. from him. And I hope when he comes back, I'm not saying to change his character, keep the gimmick, keep everything, but there should be some tweaks to who he is and what he does. Strong should be able to continue the work rate aspects of the title. Hopefully his defenses are booked a lot more logically than Orange's have been. You guys know I criticize those almost weekly. I was glad to see the change. It was the right change. But again, Orange Cassidy, I I don't want him on TV. It's not because I don't like him. We need a break from him. He's been overexposed, overused, too many title defenses. I want a break and he needs a break too. Totally. So Kyle O'Reilly jumped out of the crowd immediately after the bell from this match first pretending to almost square up to attack Strong before not doing that and just hugging him. He was offered an Undisputed Kingdom shirt. He ultimately refused, looking distraught and whispering something to Roddy's ear before departing. Now, O'Reilly looked absolutely jacked. He also looked like he was stranded on an island for the 21 months that he was out. But when you're out 21 months and you're an athlete, you're a wrestler, this is what you do, right? And he looked huge. Beyond the injury... He has diabetes that he needs to manage just as a health condition. Now, he had major bags under his eyes, which were just strange. And we have a bit of an intriguing storyline to follow here. But I wonder if this is either a real or maybe a teased retirement situation, considering he hugged his friend but didn't align with him. And really, he has no real reason not to do that. This doesn't put the squaring up part of it into context. So I'm not entirely sure what to think, which is fine. It gives me a reason to watch TV. Yeah, I didn't really know what to think. I thought he he looked big, but he also kind of looked like shit. And, <laughs> it, and it was interesting. Um, it, like you said, I'm interested to see what happens on television next. I also think it kind of overshadowed the fact that Roger Tong just won a championship belt. Mm, you know, a little. It, it, it's another one. Of, it's another one of those like, him winning like he's like, as soon as it was do- like as soon as it was done Kyle O'Reilly was in the ring and I was like oh we're just okay so we got the belt but now coming out of it the belt is secondary mm-hmm. to whatever Kyle O'Reilly's doing and so it was kind of a, like you could have waited like till the next show you know like he's celebrating on dynamite Kyle O'Reilly comes out does the same thing basically or- or he just he has like a five minute match. He beats somebody, you know, a workman horse title. He beats somebody in five, 10 minutes on dynamite. And then you do the same finish. You know, then it's the next thing. It was a lot to pack in, uh, you know, at the end for a match that went short, too. Mm-hmm. That's fair. 
Let's move to the TNT Championship. Christian Cage defending against Daniel Garcia. On collision, Matt Menard saved Garcia from a kill switch chokeslam into a chair by taking it himself. Now, this match opened revolution with the entire patriarchy ringside. Before we get to the match, I just need to share that Nigel McGuinness on commentary was absolutely killing me. He is unable to pronounce the name Christian. I know he's British, but he called him Christian or Christian like a hundred times. And it annoyed the ever loving shit out of me. It's like how Jim on the office says Dwight instead of Dwight, but worse because it was a hundred times in 15 minutes. Did you notice this? Did it bother you? No, it didn't. It didn't bother me, but I got to ask at the beginning of the show, Christian, you, you texted me, you texted me, your full name is Christopher, not Christian, right? (laughs) Yes. And I said, yes. Why did you ask me that? Because of this. I was going to say for this specific reason. Because Nigel was saying it weird, it made you wonder if my name I was, was just like, Christian. I was just like, I know he's Christopher. He has to be Christopher. I've never heard a person <laughs> named Christian shortened to Chris, even though it's the first four letters so or five letters. So that would work. But I was like, I have to know. And so I asked you because I was like, I, I wanted to know whether you're going to have a strong opinion about this or not. And once you said, no, it's Christopher, I was like, he's not going to care that I have this issue. So that's why I asked you. It was, I, I didn't catch it as much as you did. And yes, it is Christopher. Yeah, I assumed that. So Christian faked an ankle injury, which resulted in an eye rake that gave him an extended and complete upper hand. There was a cool spot where Garcia was literally climbing over the ropes while simultaneously punching Christian. Killswitch choke slammed Garcia over the ropes while the referee was distracted for no reason whatsoever. Cajun hit a frog splash for a false finish. So Killswitch removed his armor and got attacked from behind by Menard. There was a botch with Shayna Wayne and they battled to the back. Christian, who was selling a knee earlier, had it give out on a spear. Garcia hit a pile driver for a 3.1 count, ruled a 2.9. Shayna distracted after another false finish. Nick hit kind of a cutter over the ropes, totally missed him. And Cage hit Killswitch, the actual move, to retain the title in 16 minutes. Now, if this was going to be the booking, as I just said, I would not have started the show with this match. It was way too slow for an extended like eight to 10 minute stretch to begin this. And while Garcia did have a hope spot, it was brief. The match probably went too long given Garcia barely got any offense. It wasn't bad by any means, but it was way below my expectation of what these two could do. It felt like a collision match. Christian retaining was the right decision because Garcia is not ready yet. And obviously this was not the original booking. That was most likely Adam Copeland winning the title here. It was solid overall, three stars, B minus. I, I I weirdly thought the match was long, but then it ended too quickly because mm-hmm. the crowd was really getting into it by the end. There was a lot of good stuff going on those last, you know, five minutes. And then it just kind of ended right as the crowd. Was, they were taking that crowd up a level, up a level, and then it was done. You know, they didn't quite get all the way there, um, but it was it, it was a good solid finish um how tall is nick wayne's mom she was towering well, over she probably has heels on, magic I, I would assume probably but she had a she had quite a bit of height there on uh on daddy magic that just stood out to me that she was actually looked gigantic um you're right this shouldn't have opened it should have opened with eddie bryan like, mm-hmm. like you said but this was solid fine expected result um yeah, I just thought the pacing was a little bit weird. Too slow and then too fast. Yeah. 
literally the only mistake from a card building standpoint. Every other match was pretty much in the perfect spot. Let's move to what they're calling the all-star scramble. We had Wardlow, Brian Cage, Chris Jericho, Lance Archer, Hook, and two spots to be determined. Those were picked on Rampage and Collision. Magnus beat Matt Seidel to qualify. This is a CMLL guy who is now involved in a number one contendership for the AEW title after literally one match in the company. They could have used any of the other CMLL luchadors or any of the other major talents in the company, but they decided to use Magnus. Then on collision, Dante Martin. Real real, real quick, real quick there. This is the same Tony Khan who made the whole Jinder Mahal hook. Yes, correct. Bunts back and now this happened. Correct, but Jinder got a title match. Magnus got a number one contendership opportunity, but this is a guy who's never been on TV. Jinder was a former champion, so there you go. Yeah, you're right. Then on collision, Dante Martin beats Penta El Zero Miedo and Brian Keith to qualify. Quality match, but unless there was a scheduling issue, I have no idea why Penta wasn't in this match instead of Dante. Also on collision, Wardlow got a promo talking shit about all three men in the AEW title match. He repeated Swerve's line about Joe becoming a commentator again. Please remember that we heavily praised Wardlow's promo two weeks ago because that promo was great. This one was not. It was poor and heatless. Then Chris Jericho entered, basically telling Wardlow, focus on the scramble and stop blaming everyone else. Maybe you're just not good enough. He also called him by his real name, Mike. Wardlow came back saying he wasn't booked for three months without an explanation and has to put himself back together. He's the baddest dude in the ring. He repeated his new catchphrase three different times in the promo. Then Powerhouse Hobbs attacked Jericho from behind, which at least made sense. But Powerhouse Hobbs was able to do that, yet he wasn't able to be in this match, which didn't make sense. This was a sink or swim situation for Wardlow. As far as I'm concerned on collision, his ass sank. Two rough promos on one show. I'm going to give it a break, though, because the other one two weeks ago was so good. So one and one, one great promo, one terrible promo. He's even. Let's get to this match. This basically started with Meat Madness anyway. Wardlow did a Hurricanrana. Then the non-meat guys tried to do meat spots for some reason. Then there was a stage delayed four corners superplex spot, three of which were terrible. One was good. It was Cage bringing Hook in from the top rope off the apron inside. Jericho and Magnus did stereo lion salts. That was actually pretty cool. Hook got Wardlow in red rum as Jericho put him in walls. Jericho used and broke a fog machine. Wardlow ultimately won with a last ride powerbomb on Dante. So this was an all-star match with only one all-star and a scramble match that did not use scramble rules. It was just an eight-man or however many people match. There were less than a handful of notable spots, nothing memorable, and the match was cut away from immediately when it ended, despite, let me repeat, Wardlow becoming number one contender to the AEW title, or if not number one contender, a guaranteed title match, like one of the two, whatever you want to call it. That was supposed to be a big deal. Now, the right person winning is the best thing I can say about this. Dante was a botch fest on the ropes. Magnus being in it was ridiculous. Dante being in it was ridiculous. Jericho was just another guy. Hook was not believable wrestling with the rest of them. I went 2.5 stars in a C. So why did this end up getting changed from Meat Madness to All-Star Scramble if I think all the meat guys were in Some it? of the meat that was going to be added apparently to Meat Madness was rotten or you know injured and therefore couldn't be in the match, yet there's still four meaty guys were in this match. So right. and, and, and the meat guy won, so you didn't need all the other people. I can't tell you. Yeah, that that was weird. Um, it, it, the 
the CML L guy, Magnus, I think he hit a 619. Commentary called it the area code strike. Did they really? <laughs> that that's that's what I caught. Yeah. Um, something something along those lines. They said area code. Just call it a tiger fee kick. I don't know why they didn't call it that. Um, well, Wardlow was the right winner, um, but looked like he had a bit of a shiner too at the end. He looked like he took a shot to the to the to the eye. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's the right winner. You would have liked to lean into it more, but it is what it is. Did you get to watch the zero hour matches this time? I did. Okay, so let's go through this quick. Chris Statlander and Willow Nightingale fought Julia Hart and Sky Blue. This match has obviously been given weeks of build, which had me thinking it probably should have like main evented a collision instead of just been a kickoff show match, especially since it wasn't announced until Saturday. But I digress. Stokely Hathaway was on commentary, stack up the hot tag, hit a deadlift German suplex on Blue. The faces then caught her flying for a double fallaway slam. The match was running hot until a really strange Willow Julia sequence. Hart hit a beautiful close range moonsault on Stat. She came back with a double discus lariat. Blue then got pounced and ate the doctor bomb for the baby face win. I liked this match. Stat was head and shoulders above the other women, but there were some fun and well-executed spots throughout. The only issue was just odd pacing in multiple parts. And like I said, Stat was just clearly better than the others, and it was clunky in that way. I went 2.75 stars in C+, but again, that's not me disliking the match. I actually thought it was pretty fun and worthy to be on the show Maybe not the main card, but I thought it could have main evented a collision or something. Yeah, good match. Really enjoyed it. Got some time. Um, I re- Since Statlander's kind of come back again, and, and she's kind of changed her style now, mm-hmm. a lot less of the, the gymnast type of stuff because of the knee injuries. Now she's kind of a powerhouse. Yeah. And it's working. It's, 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 I'm really liking it. She's, especially with, especially with a lot of the smaller women in, in the division, um, she's, standing out and i like the two of them as a team as well so stat is still pretty great and i hope uh, she continues to kind of get some stuff i tweeted this during zero hour she's never going to leave AEW, and these people are never going to leave wwe but man i would love to see stat rhea ripley stat bianca belair i mean oh yeah those would be exceptional matches so it's unfortunate that we'll probably never get them but nevertheless uh bang bang scissor gang fought jeff jarrett's crew Private Party, and Willie Mack. And you may say, Silver King, what? Yeah, exactly. So the Jobber team was a ran- as, as random as the match itself. It came together because Private Party beat Christopher Daniels and Matt Seidel in 10 minutes on collision after Jay Lethal assisted with lethal injection. There was no reason given to why they were ringside with them, but they all celebrated together after it was over. Also, Isaiah Cassidy is still being called Brother Zay, even though they broke up from the Hardys which is the people that named him Brother Zay. So I don't get that either. Now, I missed a portion of this match because my BR stream went down. Max Caster botched his third straight rap, but this one was purposeful, as was the one on Collision. They're smartly turning a real screw-up into a minor mini-character arc of him having the yips. He literally criticized in the rap that did go through the booking of this match. Didn't make any sense. He called it out. Now, self-aware doesn't make something that's bad good. Let me just make that clear. Jay White got the hot tag, but basically did nothing. And then he hit Mac with a Blade Runner for the win. There was nothing notable in this match. It was Rampage caliber, two stars, C minus. Yeah, not much to it. I just continue. I can't believe this is what Jay White is doing, man. And that's the thing that makes me a little worried about Will Ospreay and whatever his future may be, is that they they got Jay White uh, instead of WWE, and they've done nothing with him. 
I now he's on a pre-show in a 12-man tag match. Jesus Christ. I can almost guarantee you if Jay White had signed with WWE that for WrestleMania season, he would either already be a champion or he'd be in one of those mid-card matches at WrestleMania. Yeah. Yeah. Mid-card sure. title matches. At he's a st- Sorry. He, he, is a, he is a star that they have. And yeah. They're, they, they've, they've done nothing with him. Now, on that note, though, White cut a promo. He put over their group and AEW. And then he said he had some big business to handle in two weeks, alluding to a significant match on what should be booked as a loaded show for the debut of Mercedes Monet. That's probably in response to people like us shitting on his booking over the last couple of months. And I wouldn't be surprised now if we end up getting like a major match. Jay White, Will Ospreay, Jay White, Kazuchika Okada, if he debuts. Jay White, Konosuke Takeshka. I mean, there's a lot of big time wrestlers. They may just put him in a huge match on TV. Just say, okay, fine. Here's Jay White. So we'll find out. Another option for his potential opponent might be this guy because there was a special vignette on Zero Hour for Pac who will be returning to AEW. He basically said, the company sucks. Tony Khan tried to get rid of me, but I'm going to make AEW better. Okay. He's been out seven months, at least partially due to injury. He's a significant talent ad coming back, but he's just never, ever been used with any consistency for one reason or another. So we'll see what happens. I liked this vignette. I I thought it was really well done. I think the biggest reason Pac hasn't like clicked in AEW is because he's too serious. (laughs) It doesn't really seem to fit the whole vibe. That's fair. It's injury is the biggest reason why he hasn't been around. I think there was also a short period where there were visa issues. It just, it's been like bad mm-hmm. luck, bad booking, uh, just a combination of everything. But now that they're trying to roll here and they're bringing all this talent in, maybe there's a spot for him to be on the show a lot more consistently. So Chris, with that, let's move to the final segment. If you want to call it of this show, our grades. Now, before we get into our final show grades and our final analysis of AEW Revolution. We're going to start with where we stood in the pre-show process on our Ultimate Preview podcast, which by the way, if you're a first-time listener, we tape before every pay-per-view and premium live event. I had a B-plus expectation grade coming into this show, and you, Chris, tweeted at me when I posted our poll on Twitter at Getting Overcast that your expectation grade was a B-plus as well. In terms of our listeners, the getting overheads who voted in that poll, 18% were at A, 50% B, 24% C, and 7% D to F, which is an 83 out of 100, a low B. And I was legitimately surprised at that pre-show grade from our listeners just because of the quality of the card, the fact that it was Sting's retirement. If you wanted to say a B and it was like an 86, fine. But an 83, I thought that was silly. 24% coming in at C in the pre-show did not make any sense to me whatsoever, but those are the votes. We abide by them and we deliver them to you exactly as they were cast. Now, Chris, in terms of the post-show grade, as always, you get the opportunity to go first. So what was your final grade for AEW Revolution? I'm giving this show an A. A, a, a low A, like a 94, but we had my my big thing. Whenever grading a show, did you give a did you give us a moment? Is there a big moment, a thing you will remember from this show? A hundred percent, the Sting finish. They nailed almost every part of it, like we said. 
That's a huge, huge part of it. We also got a really, really good world title match. We got an incredible match of the year contender in Osprey Takashita. Uh, we got um, Eddie versus Brian. Fantastic match. The tag team match was really, really good as well. Um, everything worked in this. It was a little bit long. Probably didn't need a couple of those matches in there, but. Yeah, this is one of AEW's best shows, and I think the fact that they completely nailed the end, and this is the instant analysis, is probably giving you, giving us, giving me at least better vibes about the whole thing because you come out of the show feeling great for how it finished. But yeah, I'm gonna give it an A. Okay, you're at an A now. Before I give my grade, let's go to the voting of our getting overheads on Twitter once again at getting overcast. Technically, as we tape this, there are still 30 minutes left in the poll, but generally at this point, the numbers don't change that much. We're at 55% A, 21% B, 19% C, and 5% D to F. And of course, there is no possible way that you could have watched that show and thought it was a D or F. I don't care who you are, what the situation was. That does not make a shred of sense to me, but that does average out to an 88 out of 100, which is a B plus. So that is probably, Chris, the most drastic difference between one of our grades and the listener grade for a Mm -hmm. pay-per-view. And the question is, where does the Silver King fall? Does he agree with you? Does he agree with the listeners? Or there is a grade right in between, and might he fall right between those two grades? The answer, Chris, is I actually completely agree with you. This was an A show. It was not an A plus. In order to get there, you can't have the first half or, you know, half of this card, you know, prevented it from being anywhere near that. And it was not a high A for numerous other reasons that would take us probably 20 additional minutes to get into here. But this was absolutely an A show. And I completely agree with your numerical grade as well. A 94. I don't see... How it's a B plus for the average here with listeners. I don't really get that. If you want to be an A minus, that's fine. But 55% of respondents, the majority, agree with us that it's an A show. And that really is what matters the most. This pay-per-view, AEW Revolution, was largely what AEW promised us it was going to be when it was created and largely has not been through its existence. Sports-based presentation. Focus on top-tier wrestling. Some of the best wrestlers in the world competing. Not every match on the card was that. But between the triple main event and the two Blackpool Combat Club matches, those five matches, this was the best show, I think, in AEW history. And I actually believe it was the best show by a significant margin. It's the front runner for pay-per-view of the year. And again, that's despite what I would consider an extremely rough start with a bunch of poor creative and some poor matches on top of it. The last time we did one of these instant analysis episodes for an AEW pay-per-view, Chris, it was World's End. And you and I both agreed when we did our post-show grades that in retrospect, and it was the first time that we had said this about an AEW show, we wished we didn't buy it. That we could have Mm -hmm. been totally fine either not having seen the show or seeing it through other means. This is the exact opposite of that take. I'm glad I spent $50 for this pay-per-view and I would do so again. And on top of that, 
AEW accomplished something that might be monumental for them here. It is quite possible that a lot of people watched AEW for the first time ever tonight because it was Sting's final match. WCW fans, maybe friends who used to watch wrestling with you and don't watch AEW with you where you say, hey, you know, it's Sting's last match. Why don't you come over and watch the pay-per-view? And they watched this show for the first time. And for those first-time viewers, AEW delivered something that says, I want to continue watching this product. And for the better part of the last couple of years, you could turn on a pay-per-view, you could turn on Dynamite or Collision, and there'd occasionally be a great episode, there'd occasionally be a great pay-per-view, but for the most part, they were not putting things on television and on pay-per-view that made you say, I have to watch this product. This is the type of show that earns you fans and builds momentum for your product. And I think that is the best and biggest compliment that I can give AEW. I'm looking forward to Dynamite this coming Wednesday more than I have any Dynamite in years. And it's not because there's a huge cliffhanger that I can't wait to see what happens. I'm excited about the product. Now I'm gonna tell you, I'm coming out of watching Rampage and Collision that were so bad, you could have told me AI wrote those episodes Friday and Saturday, and I would have believed you about that. And yet, despite that, I'm coming into TV this week saying, I'm really excited to see what happens on Dynamite. I'm real curious if Kazuchika Okada is gonna show up. And I know big business is in a couple of weeks and Mercedes Monet is gonna show up on that. So momentum, I think, is running for AEW right now. Now it is up to them to capitalize on it. And it's not just about debuting Okada and debuting Monet and having them on TV. It's about booking the program well. It's about not having 66% of your matches in a week have no storyline relevance whatsoever. The question is whether they're gonna capitalize on it. I don't know whether they're going to, but in terms of Sunday night, AEW largely put its best foot forward. And like I said, this was an A pay-per-view. Yeah, this was probably the most, maybe the most story-based pay-per-view they'd ever run coming in. Everything had story with it. And and because well, of that, not everything. When you but. have a <laughs> not everything. Not but everything. a lot of it. And as a result, most of it. you come out of it wanting to see what's next in those stories. And that is the process of building and building and building with pro wrestling. My biggest issue with AEW continues to be there's just too many people on screen. There's too many stories to follow, too many feuds to follow. Everybody's in a faction, pretty much. That's why the pay-per-view feels fresh, because you had singles matches in some cases that didn't have 50 people ringside for various reasons. There's just a lot people on screen at all times they just need to like everybody's got a hanger on or a faction or a something just like you got to cut the fat a little bit at least on screen to let the individuals shine Mm -hmm. and that's what you got on this pay-per-view and i think you can do that moving forward lastly i would love for aw's pay-per-views considering they don't do so many to put the year on the end of it i'd love this to be called revolution 2024 because all the revolutions are kind of blurring together in my mm-hmm. head. And I think I, I think adding adding a, uh, a year to it would just kind of hit home the specificness of the shows. Sure. I mean, we, we call it that when we you know post our podcast titles and things like that. But yes, I, I do agree that just the basic names for the shows, you, you could add a little bit to it and 
it would help, especially with Revolution more than any other show. And, you know, AEW doesn't really have a tent pole. You know, All In, you could say, is the spectacle show just because it's going to be at Wembley Stadium every year. At least that's the presumption. But Revolution seems to be like almost the most consistent show. I'd have to go back and really mm-hmm. think about it. Yeah. But it does seem to be. Yeah. And that's appropriate because of what the company is trying to do and, you know, what the name of the show is. So there yeah, also for the also for the love of god get off bleacher report oh it my god it's awful. it went down for me during the edit thing eddie took me forever to figure out how to log in and get in it makes no sense it's a terrible yeah. website it's brutal it, and it went down on this show and tony said they had to get fight tv to jump in a little they bit, did so. they they actually I, th- I think triller it's only available to order internationally but early in the show they made yeah. it domestic as well where you could order it on triller in the united states because br was screwing up so much it, you know th- there's so much talk about like Oh my God, AEW is going to get on a streaming service. They've been saying it for two years. It hasn't happened. They have, they're negotiating the new TV deal. I don't care what they need to do. They got to get this on max, at least the pay-per-views, if not this whole catalog. They got to do something better than what they're currently doing. The Bleacher Report thing, I didn't even have that many problems, but just seeing everyone else have issues was immensely frustrating. But they need to get off Bleacher Report. WWE needs to get off Fox as soon as possible. And we just got to redo all of the wrestling uh you know, agreements right now and just move forward in 2025 and beyond. That's pretty much the best way uh, to wrap this up. On the way out, allow me to hit you with some reminders first, folks, that we have another episode coming up this Tuesday. It will be the WWE episode, and we have an absolute ton to discuss on that show. We had The Rock cut a 21-minute promo on social media, and then we had The Bloodline start SmackDown with like a 40-minute promo on Friday night, there is an absolute load to discuss, and we will be doing all of that this coming Tuesday on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Of course, we will be back on Thursday with your next AEW episode, where we will also break down NXT Roadblock and certainly look ahead to what is going on from a creative standpoint across both of those brands. Let me also remind you on the way out, because I did not do it on the way in, that as far as the Silver King is concerned, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You get bonus instant reaction audio to Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and Dynamite every single week, along with exclusive news posts on Friday. Again, that is buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It's also where you can DM and tweet us questions and comments for the show. And you can vote in our pre and post show polls around pay-per-views and premium live events, just like tonight for AEW Revolution. Lastly, please remember that we here at getting over is all about Defied. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave your five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Thanks once again to Vintage Chris Benini for joining your boy, the Silver King Adam Silverstein, to break down AEW Revolution. We hope you all had a fantastic time for Vintage. This is the Silver King signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>